Leadership is a primary extension of God's first commission for humanity to rule in His image. Because the world had different ideas about how to lead, Jesus came to model what kingdom leadership looks like. So join me, Julie Lefebvre, and my team of rotating co-hosts as we seek to encourage and equip kingdom leadership on earth as it is in heaven. Welcome to the Kingdom Leadership Podcast. This is Julie Lefebvre, and I get to welcome my co-host, the pastor of Westridge Community Church, Dave Mitchell, to the podcast today. Welcome, Dave. Hello. Thanks for the opportunity to be here, and what a great topic. I've been thinking about leading in the garden just since we've been working through Genesis on Sunday mornings. Yeah. But I've been picturing leadership in the new creation, specifically in Revelation chapter 22. And so I just wanted to read this excerpt. It says, The angel showed me a river that was crystal clear, and its waters gave life. The river came from the throne where the God where God and the Lamb were seated. Then it flowed down the middle of the city's main street. On each side of the river are trees that grow a different kind of fruit each month of the year. The fruit gives life, and the leaves are used as medicine to heal the nations. God's curse will no longer be on the people of that city. He and the Lamb will be seated there on their thrones, and its people will worship God and see Him face to face. God's name will be written on the foreheads of the people. Never again will night appear. No one who lives there will ever need a lamp or the sun. The Lord God will be their light, and they will rule forever. It's an amazing statement. They will rule forever. And it's so cool to think that all the leadership exercises we do today are really training for reigning in the future. That's Dallas Willard's comment. None of the leadership lessons learned here and now will be wasted in new creation. I think that's the point of all those parables Jesus told about being faithful with all the gifts and talents and skills of this age, and then receiving a greater stewardship in the life to come. That is a beautiful picture, and it reminds me of, I feel like I'm going to take us way back now. Like we're going to lower this to a totally different level because it reminds me of Settlers. Have you ever played Settlers? I never played that game. What? No. Okay. Well, I love Settlers. And my favorite part of the game is at the end where you've already made all your settlements. You have every number covered. You have every commodity. And every time someone rolls a dice, there's this fruit that comes. You get one of the Uh, one of the resources. And so it just, it makes me think about how this passage that says, you know, that, that there's going to be so much light life and that, um, that fruit will come all of the time. And so, I don't know. It just made me think of settlers. Can't they steal your fruit? Can't (laughs) can't they can. It's settlers. Isn't the new heaven, I guess. (laughs) Ten four. So we are, but yeah, this is this is what kingdom leadership is, is looking forward to this kind of a kingdom where that is happening. And so, yeah, welcome to the podcast. Well, every podcast, we start by reflecting on how we are experiencing grace. And the reason is that we believe that it's God's grace that not only offers salvation to all people, but also teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions, to be able to Mm -hmm. live self-controlled, 
upright and godly lives, that grace is what opens the door for us to become more like Jesus, really, so that we can lead like Jesus. So let's just share. I I would love to know, how has grace impacted your leadership? I feel like experiencing God's grace is the power dynamic that sets us free from defensiveness about past leadership mistakes. And uh, I mean, that's prevalent. You have past leadership mistakes? Yeah. (laughs) The road is paved with past (laughs) leadership mistakes. And you make them. I mean, in Mm -hmm. leadership, those mistakes are so visible. They're so costly and embarrassing, especially if you've got this pattern, this weak point in your leadership. It's you can see it over and over, creating poor decisions, poor performance. And so there's this deep temptation, I think, to become defensive about our past, especially mm. our leadership um, foibles. And it's easy to justify yourself, to defend your failures, uh, to write them off to explain how much better your mistakes are than the patterns other leaders exhibit. You know, just this week, I... I learn more about Ravi Zacharias. And so, you know, there's a little part of me that just wants to say, at least you didn't do that. And um, so it's hard to invalidate our past. People have terrible difficulty not defending, excusing, blame-shifting past mistakes, especially when they're in the public eye. And Mm -hmm. what that means is you can't grow. And so it's God's faithfulness. It's His loving kindness his gracious mercy that opens us to a really powerful, non-defensive posture that is willing to learn, even in areas where our past failures are crying out to be defended and excused and explained away. So grace opens the door for leaders to get better in the most critical areas of their lives, habitual areas, repeated areas of challenge and difficulty. So I'm trying hard to receive God's grace in order to break down that defensiveness and self-protection. And for me, I'm trying specifically to grow in the area of saying difficult things without having to be angry to say them. So offering people life-giving feedback without having to be mad about the process or mad to engage the process. I need grace to overcome the challenges in that area in the past so that I can step into some new, better, more life-giving habits. Yeah. You know, when we make mistakes, it's just so difficult to not let shame take over, to not feel like, oh, everybody Mm -hmm. wants to turn away from me. Everybody wants me to Mm -hmm. go away all of that. And so I know for me too, I've had to continually remind myself of God's turning toward me. And I just love Psalm 23 and then Psalm 56. In Psalm 23, uh, it says, you know, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me, for God is with David. And so just that idea that God is with us, even in the hard stuff. And then Um, In Psalm 56, David reminds himself that God is for me. And so those are just two phrases that we have used to cast vision for what grace looks like, Mm -hmm. for um, that grace is being for and with, and ultimately God is for and with us. And so just, yeah, being able to rehearse those truths has been helpful. 
So grace also plays a key role in what we want to talk about today, and that is unity. This is going to be a fun topic, I think. It's it's a timely topic because we are just living in a season where unity is difficult to find. Instead, uh, it's really easy to see division, discord, everything dis, <laughs> un. <laughs> And as I continue to read through the Gospels, I keep realizing, you know, on one hand, I feel like, man, this just seems like a once in a lifetime season. You know, this is so weird. Nobody's ever gone through this stuff before. And yet, as I've read through the Gospels, I've just realized that I'm not sure we're living through a time that's much different than the culture that Jesus first spoke to. Because if you read very much, you realize that he lived three years of ministry with people who were constantly working hard to trap him, to catch him doing something wrong. They were always listening Mm -hmm. with the motivation of catching him doing something that they didn't approve of and that would give them cause to kill him, literally. Mm -hmm. And yet the night before they succeeded in doing so, He prayed for his followers and for us, and a big part of that request was for unity. And so John records this in chapter 17, and Jesus prayed, My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one, I in them and you in me, so that, there's a so that clause, they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you loved me. So such a... A beautiful prayer. And when Jesus prays for unity, we just want to take some time today and talk about what is he praying for? What does it look like? What is this unity that Jesus prayed for us? It's such a timely question for us at Westridge because we just finished studying this Tower of Babel. And one of the hallmarks of that movement was their unity. I mean, they were absolutely unified in their vision of a city that would reach to the heavens so that they might make a name for themselves and not be scattered across the face of the earth. But actually, that unity was toxic. Mm -hmm. And all self-absorbed dreams are toxic. They result in the end game is disunity. Mm-hmm. as people compete more and more for control over the tower and the construction process, as individuals compete to exalt themselves, to make their own name great, their selfish ambition, their backstabbing, their power plays, they all just blow the, blow the vision to smithereens and people scatter. So, you know, this self-promotion, the idea of making my own great is, is actually an exercise in false unity. So, so unity is not necessarily just working toward a common goal. So it, it can appear to be unity, but especially if the common goal is actually motivated by selfish ambition, it's, it's going to lead to something completely unsafe. And that was certainly true. Uh, without doubt, it was true 
of Babel because their vision, if you notice, it's the exact opposite vision of God's great city in Revelation 22, the the story that we started with. That city, the New Jerusalem, was totally focused on the throne of God and the Lamb. They're worshiping in this tremendously unified way. Worship brings us together in awe and reverence and pursuit of Creator God and the Lamb. I just just think about this statement one more time. It's almost a direct reversal of the false unity of Babylon. It says God's curse will no longer be on the people of that city. He and the Lamb will be seated there on their thrones, and its people will worship God and will see him face to face. God's name will be written on the foreheads of the people. Never again will night appear. And no one who lives there will ever need a lamp or the sun. The Lord God will be their light, and they will rule forever. It's a totally God-focused form of rule that brings people together. Mm. So I think we could define unity as denying ourselves in order to gather around the common goal of doing what we were originally created to do. Really, true unity, then, the kind that Jesus prayed for, seems to be accomplished when people join together to fashion their lives around the ultimate goal of worshiping God and then living out of that worship. So we're speaking primarily to leaders, and so let's take a minute and discuss what unity looks like in a group setting. If this is what we're striving for, um, to be able to gather around this common worship of Christ, what's it going to look like? Is it going to mean that everybody has the same political stance? Is it going to mean that we all believe, believe the same things about every non-essential matter? Just how, let's, let's kind of flesh this out a little bit. Every small group is going to have differences of opinion. Every small group is going to have a majority report and a minority report <laughs> in, in some area. But I think what I'm trying to work on as I lead group is a unity that looks like everyone gathering in the context of God's grace, while at the same time really clear about this singular vision, and the singular vision is to become more like Jesus, to be transformed into the image of Christ. So Mm -hmm. the context of grace is what helps us move toward willingness to change. The context of grace is what creates ears to hear so that the truth can then set us free, the truth of how we need to become more like Christ. So no matter what, we can still be unified around what Jesus did for us, regardless of kind of some of the specific differences that we may have. And ultimately, we can worship him together and then live out of this worship and I just think about the early church, how it was made up of people from different socioeconomic backgrounds, from different races, different religions. They found themselves pretty often in disagreements. Mm-hmm. I mean, the writers of the New yeah. Testament aren't shy. They don't shy away from those. And I think Jesus knew that this would be a reality for his body, the church. And it just reminds us that unity is difficult to achieve when people are coming from such different perspectives. And so that's why we want to take some time and talk about it today, basically to process through what we're striving for and then talk about ways that we can get there. So in group life, 
We are striving for the type of unity that draws our eyes to Jesus, to his way of doing things. And part of creating unity is simultaneously fostering safety because drawing our eyes toward Jesus demands that we recognize and confess the ways that we insist on keeping our eyes Mm -hmm. on ourselves. Mm -hmm. This is just hard because who wants to out herself? Uh, It is hard to admit the ways that we are falling short or the ways that we are broken, the ways that we are being self-focused. And so it really does require a level of safety that we don't experience in very many places. I was watching a couple of electricians in the church yesterday. They were doing some work and there was a kind of a master electrician and an apprentice and the master was really telling him how to do a specific job. And Mm -hmm. I wondered, you know, is the apprentice going to be able to receive that or will he receive it? And, you know, will his behavior reflect it, but his attitude reflects resistance or harshness? There's just something beautiful that happens when a person who wants to grow feels safe enough to really listen to advice from another person, someone who could offer him really helpful coaching. It's just beautiful when someone has a blind spot, but then they become willing to listen to another person who has insight. And I think it's extremely rare. It's beautiful when people are stuck. They're kind of stuck in their own spiritual development, and they finally get willing to hear from another person who's, you know, a a few miles down the road. But I do think it's really rare. I just don't think that level of safety is present in most of life. I th- I think, you know, we go to a surgeon and we let them cut our bodies in order to heal us, but we're very, very rarely trusting or willing enough to let a spiritual friend or mentor speak surgical truths into our lives and, you know, take it seriously. It's much, much more, inval- more invalidating to receive surgical wounds wounds from a friend than it is to receive a surgeon's scalpel. Well, and all of this, it just seems to point us back to the truth that it's going to be easier to receive that if you know that that person is for and with you, mm-hmm. which is going to become an extension of them being fully committed to following and becoming like Jesus. Mm-hmm. So if their focus, you know, we just can tend to sense if somebody is about themselves or about others. And it just kind of brings us back to the idea that, man, we have to be so committed, unified around the idea of worshiping Jesus first Mm -hmm. and living out of that because it's in that space that we're able to um, really be for and with other people. So, how can we create rhythms and routines within group life that create the kind of safety that leads to unity? I'm leading group tonight. And just as we've talked through this podcast, I'm, I'm going to continue to do what I've done a handful of times, mm-hmm. which is start group by really clarifying the purpose, not letting people forget that we are there because we all want to be more like Jesus more godly. We want to be more transformed into the image of Christ, worshiping the one who sits on the throne and the lamb. That's why we're in group together. Yeah. Sometimes I think we 
forget why we are going to group um, as leaders. Sometimes I think we forget. And then I think sometimes the people that are coming forget and they default into, well, I'm just checking my going to group box. But we, this is just one really helpful um, step to be able to remind people of why they're there. I love it. And I also think helping to create an attitude where everyone knows you're not competing with them. Everybody knows that you're um, for their growth, development, and maturity. I, I just thought about this passage from Matthew 8. It says, to some who are confident in their own righteousness and look down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you I'm not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven but he beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And you just can't, you can't allow group to become a place where people even begin to suspect that other group members are celebrating. They're celebrating their superiority, their self-righteousness. It's just not going to work. Yeah, I think there's just something that's disarming when we recognize that we're all in the same boat. We may not all be struggling with the same exact things, but we we are all the same in that we are not quite there. We mm -hmm. have not reached that point where we are like Jesus. And so I think that's uh, really important. I also think it's helpful to rem remind our group that we are not there to fix each other because we can only fix ourselves. And I know this is tricky language because again, we, you know, there there are truths out there that will help us to become more like Jesus. And sometime we're going to do an entire mm -hmm. episode on a leader's role on how to lead others to fix themselves, but that's just it, right? Mm -hmm. You're you can only show up to fix yourself, to help yourself become more like Jesus. And um, we never want to be the one with all of the answers for everyone else. Unwanted advice always feels like criticism. Mm. And small groups should be, it really should be like a great workout where you have encouraging training partners who are, and they're also watching your form. They're offering feedback. They're celebrating your personal records, you know? So we need coaches. We need training partners. We really need the feedback, but more than that, we need to respect them so much that we trust their advice, or it just feels like criticism. You know, I've found that people are more apt to even ask for that feedback when I, as a leader, have modeled asking myself. So in other words, you know, people mm -hmm. are watching us. They're watching to see how we do it. And if we never confess uh, an area that we are mm -hmm. not there, and if we never ask for feedback or if we never ask for prayer, if we never ask for help, mm -hmm. then they won't see how it works. And so again, we've said this before, but leaders have to be willing to go two levels deeper yeah. than the people, than what they expect even from, from others. And so uh, I think the process even normalizes mm -hmm. for people that it's okay to be broken. Uh, it's okay to not be quite there mm -hmm. um, because we want to be real about what is so that we can um, heal it. 
I think what people really expect is that if they offer vulnerability, if they offer a confession, if they talk about how they've failed, what they really expect is that someone in the group is going to follow up with a story about how they were victorious in the same (laughs) area. I, I think that, right? So, I mean, thank God I'm not like other people. That's what people are expecting. And so what threatens this process, this beautiful process of teachability, is one person playing the I want to be like Jesus game. Mm. That's their game plan, their strategy. And then there's another person who's not playing the I want to be like Jesus game. They're playing the I want to be better than you game. And that's how they keep score through this Mm. God, I'm not like, I'm so thankful I'm not like other people, robbers and evildoers. And it just totally sabotages the small group experience. Yeah. And I think sometimes we get sucked into the temptation to play the, I want to be better than you game because we haven't filled up Mm -hmm. yet with what we need from God through his grace and through others, you know, as stewards of his grace, we haven't done the work to do that. And so it really is a good uh, marker or kind of a good a measuring stick to ask yourself, you know, where am I? Am I playing the I want to be like Jesus mm-hmm. game or am I comparing and needing to one up the person who just shared? As we get ready to wrap up, we want to come back to our second group value. And really, we're not coming back to it because we've been talking mm-hmm. about it the whole time. And that's becoming like Jesus. Uh, this is going to be our our answer to everything, I think. Um you know, we've given some examples of how we can externally create safety in our relationships or in the groups we lead, but what ultimately needs to happen in us or in those we lead that will really help us to desire and strive for the unity that Jesus prayed for? Sometimes I feel like when I talk with Christians, I feel like they want Jesus, they want his forgiveness of sin. They want to be with him in eternity, uh, in heaven, forever. But I'm just not so sure they want to be like him, that when they read about him, they don't seem compelled to replicate his thoughts and his teaching, his relationships, his love for others. And instead, maybe they just kind of settle for being better than other people. And I think, you know, small group can be a great context for feeling better than others, especially if other people are making confessions. But it can also be a great context for simply wanting to be more like Christ. And we just have to ask him to purify our hearts, to purify our leadership every day, to make that choice every day to be like him. We recently uh, had a marriage retreat, and the theme was about becoming one. And we talked about how our marriages often reflect our relationship with God and reflect God's relationship mm-hmm. with his, his church, his bride. And ultimately, Jesus valued unity over anything personal. And when it came down to it, he showed us how to be like him. And it meant that we were going to have to take up our cross daily. We were going to have Mm -hmm. to be willing to love our enemies, to pray for those who persecute us, Mm -hmm. to pursue peace, to do all of the things that are the opposite of what feel normal and natural. 
And yet in the end, he submitted, he laid his life down for us. Um, And then he asks us to do the same for the purpose of being able to become one with us for eternity. And it's just been a challenge for me because I think how often do I resist unity? I don't prioritize becoming one with God, with uh, my husband sometimes, with the body. I, I prioritize myself. And so I just, I think this is something good to think about. It, it helps us to, to remember what the whole point of, right. of following him is, and it's to follow him. Mm-hmm. Um, as we get ready to end, I just want to read again Jesus's prayer. Um, and I, I just pray this for all of us. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who believe in me through their message that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me that they may be one as we are one, I in them and you in me so that they may be brought to complete unity. And then the beauty is that then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. I just pray that all of us would move toward unity with our groups, with our families, with the people around us, Mm -hmm. um, and ultimately with God so that we can be a light to the world around us. We want to remind you to join us in reading the book A Gentle Answer by Scott Sauls. Uh, We'll have all of the co-hosts on sometime soon to talk about that. Um, And for now, we just want to thank you for joining us in this conversation. We hope you'll join us again next time. May His kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. This show is part of the ICT Podcast Network. For more information, visit ictpod.net.